0: everybody, I'm Ralph Ben Benmerge. Welcome to the Plan B podcast, and uh, I'm coming to you through the auspices of Upstream, www.thinkupstream.net. And Upstream is an important institution in this country because it cares about the social determinants of health. What are the things that we can do before we get to the end of problems? And right now, we're certainly in one of those problems because it has a large social aspect as well as obviously a Deep medical aspect to it, and that is COVID 19. To talk about this, Tim Caulfield is the Canada Research Chair in Health, Law, and Policy at the University of Alberta and is currently mapping misinformation on COVID 19. He's also the author of Gwyneth Paltrow, Wrong About Everything, and The Cure for Everything, as well as other books that he has written. Hi, how are you, Tim?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me on.
0: My pleasure. Um, what does that mean? Mapping misinformation.
1: Well, there's just so much misinformation out there right now around around the coronavirus, and and this is an area of research that we've been involved in our team for, for really decades. But but holy cow, the misinformation! It's it's misinformation on steroids. Whether you're talking about about the source of of, of the virus, you know, we heard all those you know um, theories. Um, conspiracy theories really, uh, that was a bioweapon. Uh, you see, you know, uh, uh, conspiracy theories about the idea of being a hoax. But what's really taken off recently is the misinformation about cures, about prevention, about what we need to do about it. So what we want to do is, is map where this misinformation is coming from. What is, you know, that, the kind of misinformation that's out there? get a sense of how people are reacting to this misinformation and then of course make recommendations about how we can how we can stop it how we can sort of counter the misinformation and and look it's it's a long term project so it's a scholarly project but we also we also want to get stuff out asap we want to get you know this is this is a now thing right and mm-hmm. so we we also want to uh, get out recommendations for for the general public but for the media for scientists on how how we can can counter this this misinformation?
0: So we'll get into that in a second. I still want to stay with the idea of there seems, with enormous and existential events, a need to come up with mythologies and a need to come up with conspiracies. What what is that about?
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, and 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 you're absolutely right. Um, there is even some research on on point when there's this when there's uncertainty, when there's fear. Um, we have a tendency to try to fill in the gaps, right? Um, so there's interesting work around conspiracy theories, for example. You know, some people think one of the reasons they, they kind of blossom is it's in our, our effort to fill in the narrative, to, to make sense of the world. Um, uh, whether you're talking about the Kennedy assassination or whether you're talking about where the coronavirus came from, we want a story that is gonna give, that's going to resonate. So you're right. Uh, I think that, that that's definitely part of it. Uh, in addition to that, there is the uncertainty and fear around it itself. And so people are, are one answers. they want to know what they can do in order to uh, in order to counter um, this crisis. But but also, you know, we shouldn't underplay the role of marketing. And I'm going to say evil marketing here. You know, people who are taking advantage of this situation to not only to not only sell products that are unproven but also to to push ideology, right? You see, you've seen that happen with Donald Trump and and China and China with Donald Trump. You see that happening with Russia and, and how they're using this in order to spread disinformation, to erode trust in our institutions. And even in places like India, you're seeing this being used in order to push a particular ideological spin, perhaps even around, around healthcare. So yeah, I, I think that there's a lot going on, uh, a lot of social and cultural forces that are, are allowing this, this misinformation to, to flourish.
0: All right, so let me try some things that float around there. Uh, this is all because of wet markets in China, which I don't even know what they really are. Is that just nonsense? Is that something we should pay attention to? Will it matter to how we treat any of this?
1: Um, so there is, as you probably know, obviously an animal connection to this. What I, what I worry about is, is the blame, right? You know, that we're pointing blame at a particular culture, at a particular people, um, that can quickly morph into xenophobic, um, mm-hmm. attitudes, which we've seen happen here, right? Unfortunately, it's still, it's still happening. So, so there is truth in, in, into the, you know, the animal origins of, of, of diseases. Um, but is there true, you know, is that uh Should we allow that to morph into the, this sort of blame you know I, and I worry about that
0: yeah well there there is that whole idea of the other a- embodied mm-hmm. in this case in something invisible
1: yeah in and 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 we saw that other rhetoric from the president of the United States, right he really yes. tried now you know what's interesting i don't I don't know if you've noticed noticed this too is there has been as this has become a more serious issue. Um, and as uh, populations have recognized how serious it is around the world, it's become more global. There has been of sense some backing away from you know, that ideological spin. And um, uh, not totally, unfortunately, but you have seen that. And really, most of the information that we've noticed this trend is now around the, around the cures and the prevention and, and that kind of thing.
0: So another one of the things that occurs to me is the anti-science uh, movement in the world. Um, and I, I saw something that said the demographics were uh, white males of a certain age, you know, 50 to 60 years old, who would say, oh, it's a bunch of nonsense, more than other people would say it. Um, what role does anti-science thinking have in how we're misunderstanding what's going on here?
1: You know, I think it's it's playing a big role. Um, one of the things that I've I've been looking, you know, you know, it'll be also be interesting to see how that community, in that that um, ethos, how how it survives this this crisis. You know, it'll be interesting to see if one of the legacies of of the coronavirus crisis is a greater appreciation of science and, and trust in science. But right now, you're definitely seeing. Um, this anti-science, um, I, I think tolerance of anti-science having a role. I, you know, I've argued that one of the things that has happened is there has, we've had this long toleration of, uh, of of pseudoscience, whether it's in the context of alternative medicine or you know different kinds of approaches to health, we've tolerated it, and now. Uh, we're, we're telling people to ignore that pseudoscience. And it's hard. It, it, it's not conceptually consistent, right? You know, chiropractics has never been able to boost our immune system. It never has been able to do that. But we tolerated that rhetoric, uh, which is really an anti-science approach, right? It's magical thinking. Uh, and now we're trying to tell people, okay, in this context, don't believe it. Well, we, it's not conceptually consistent. So I'm hopeful that, you know, when we get out of this, we're going to have a more consistent approach to this kind of pseudoscience.
0: So it sort of falls on the spectrum of things from anti-vaxxer to climate change that, you know, I don't care what science you're giving me, I don't believe it's true. But in this case, we're seeing people die in front of us.
1: Yeah, that, that's right. Um, I, you know, the, the GM, anti-GMO debates, the um, climate change for sure, the vaccine, all of this stuff, all of these debates, I think, have sort of invited people to believe, you know, I, I, I call it magical thinking, but have invited a, a, a miss. A mistrust of science and of scientific institutions, and uh, now we're we're kind of facing the consequences uh, of of that, you know, of years, decades yeah. of that kind of rhetoric.
0: So, what's some of the misinformation that you're uncovering that we should know about, so that we don't sit there, you know, talking to people in our families on the on the phone and saying, "Did you hear about?" So, what are some of the things we should know? <laughs>
1: You, there, there's so much Let, let's let's put them on a continuum okay let's, yeah <laughs> from the really crazy stuff things like drinking urine in order to cure you know, cow urine in order to cure coronavirus the using cocaine uh, drinking alcohol uh, drinking bleach uh, using essential oils on your anus all of these things have been proposed as, as a cure now you might think those are all absurd but people have listened to that and there's been adverse ramifications because, because of that. Then let's move a little bit further along that continuum, to things that sound more plausible, right? So I've touched on, on some of them. You know, the idea that a chiropractor can adjust your spine and boost your immune system. The idea that IV vitamin therapy will help boost your immune system. Uh, homeopathy, all of these things have been proposed, no evidence to support any of it. And, and in fact, it, it, some of those things can, can in fact be harmful. And then we move along. Well, wait, there's
0: a lot of people, though, who believe in naturopathy as as opposed to allopathic medicine. They believe that this is really what makes them healthy. And belief has a lot to do with how people react to things, right? I mean, if you believe something, it helps a lot. But so some people listening are going to go, wait a minute, I go to a homeopathic remedy, you know? Uh, So your certainty... How does that play or how do you use that certainty to get into that dialogue with those people?
1: You know, it is it is interesting because homeopathy is a good example because it is complete pseudoscience. You know, you don't have to pull your punches at all, right? Um, and I mean, it's it's scientifically implausible. Um, it's truly magical thinking. Um, and in addition to that, there's no evidence that it works, right? So. I think one of the, you know, there's evidence on how you talk about these things. Uh, first of all, you hold up the fact that that's what the science says, and then you, you point out the rhetorical tools that are often used in order to push the pseudoscience. And one of them you've touched on, calling conventional medicine allopathic medicine. You know, mm-hmm. for, for people in the science community, when they hear the word allopathic, they, they cringe because it's used in order to create a false dichotomy. You know, the difference between allopathic medicine Uh, and other approaches right and and the idea is allopathic are just dealing with symptoms and and are interested in in band-aid approaches whereas the other approaches are about long-term prevention and that's been a very powerful a very powerful marketing tool which is a truly a false dichotomy Um, most of these things we can point to and say there's no science to support it and when you come to a situation like the coronavirus you can see that the harm the harm that something like that can actually have because we're talking about a, a real disease that has a potential and is killing people.
0: So let's move along the spectrum then. We, we've gone past uh, homeopathic and all of that. <laughs> Where are we now?
1: Now now we're in in into real pharmaceuticals um, like the malaria drug, right? A lot of misinformation around that also, right? So we have the malaria, we have the malaria drug, that uh, it was a, a study, a, a small study in France. It wasn't a randomized controlled trial. It got, I think, misrepresented in the popular press. Um, and we've seen that it was, uh, it was misrepresented by the President of the United States. And that had a real tangible impact on how people uh, are, using, uh, are using that drug.
0: I'm talking to Tim Caulfield for Canada research chair in health law and policy to university of Alberta. And right now he's working on a mapping of misinformation research project, which is a long-term project. And there's not, you know, I'm, everybody wants an answer. Now let's talk a little bit more about some of the other misinformation that, and why it's successful with people, right? So you, 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 you mm-hmm. now have moved into pharmaceuticals and, and you know, everybody knows about the ridiculousness and and awfulness that the the president started talking about these things that probably will be great. They're going to be great. And then a couple in Texas took it and one of them died. Um, I'm assuming people are are starting to get desperate in North America at this point about the fear and how to handle it. So they may be even more prone to that misinformation. What other, what should people should, where should we be going when we think we know what we're talking about, but we don't? Do you know what I mean? Like, where do people go online to go, this is real and this is fake?
1: So where should they go? Well, the the answer is is simple and a little bit of a cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, we really should go to those trusted voices that are aggregating the scientific information. I think that's really important, especially in a topic like this, where the the information is always changing, the science is changing, the data is accumulating. And, and I'm talking the World Health Organization, the Public Health Agency of Canada, the CDC, the Provincial Health Ministries. You know, they are, I think, um, doing their best to aggregate the, the science and provide uh, advice to the public. Um, but yes, the, the, no, I know I raised that topic and some people go, well, I don't trust the World Health Organization, I don't trust the Public Health Agency of Canada, but, but they are populated by scientists that are by and large independent. And, and in a time like this, I think we have to do our best to, to follow the, 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 what the body of evidence tells us to do. And, and these entities are trying, I, I think, as best as they can to fill that role.
0: So what happens with the fact that the information is changing on a regular basis? Like for instance, today, um, we now hear from the Italian authorities that one of the mistakes they made was not segregating off the COVID-19 patients from the other patients in the hospital more effectively, and that that helped the spread. So um, governments say they're going to handle things that we're going to quarantine for, for a month. Oh, we're going to do it for three months. Oh, we're going to do it for nine months. Who knows how long this will go on? So given that people are trying to keep up to a virus that is nimble and vicious, what do we do to make sure that we stay in that flow? Do we just keep checking back with WHO and CDC and Canadian public health? Um, how do we make sure we don't, even though the, the information changes, how do we make sure we still trust the source?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. And you're seeing this also around, around the mask debate, whether we should or shouldn't be wearing a mask, right? And, mm. and I've had people say, well, you know, this WHO said X – a month ago and now they're saying why, that didn't make that X decision wrong. They had the best available evidence and they made the decision they thought was right at the time. And so that as the evidence evolves, they revised their policy. That's exactly what you want to have happen. And it doesn't make uh, the earlier decisions incorrect. It means that that was the decision they made with the best available evidence. And it's a little bit of a science literacy question. You know, science is a process. You know, it's not a list of facts. It's not an institution. It's not a person. It's not a place. It's a process. And we're seeing that scientific process play out in an incredibly compressed amount of time around the coronavirus. So yes, go back and check with the entities that are aggregating that scientific information as best they can. It's not going to be perfect and it's going to evolve just as the science evolves. And try to allow yourself to get a little bit of tolerance uh, for that, that evolution.
0: The mapping you're doing is it's for Canada?
1: Um, that's a really good question. Actually, I think we're still, you know, I think it'll depend a little bit on, on what we're looking at. Uh, so for example, we're going to look at the news media, uh, the traditional news media, that is, uh, we're going to look at social media and that's, going to be international by its very nature nature and we're also going to look at search engines which will be international by their very nature so we're, it'll, it'll depend so what are you looking at
0: when you're looking at social media what what's the lens what are you looking through
1: yeah you know it's, it's a great question because it's methodologically pretty challenging uh, we are going to look at at a lot of the, the platforms we're going to look at youtube we're going to look at, at Twitter. I'm looking at it. I'm working on Instagram right now. It's a little project I'm doing right now. And, and we're coming at it from different angles. So,
0: What are you so, seeing on Instagram?
1: Instagram's a mess, right? So it's a, really good, it's a really good example. All of these platforms, as you know, have tried to do something to stem the tide of misinformation. So if you Google or, or you go to Instagram and you put in the word coronavirus, they immediately take you to a banner that says go to the Canadian Public Health Agency. Mm. That's awesome, right? Uh, but the, the problem is that if you put in immune boosting, you get right. all this nonsense about immune boosting. And that's what people do in life, right? So the, the first warnings, there's some evidence that those kind of warnings work, but that's not how people inter, inter, interact with these, these platforms. And so when I, you know, you search something like immune boosting, it's almost nothing but garbage and a science-free noise. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people are
0: seeing. So social media has always been, uh, you know, chaotic in terms of its access. Everyone can say what they want and uh, get their platform to a degree, but to a large degree, when it comes to uh, traditional media, mainstream media, what are you finding? What do you think you'll be finding there?
1: Well, you know, what's interesting, and this is very preliminary. So if you talk to me <laughs> in a month when we have a more robust data set, I might, I, I might revise what I'm about to say. But our initial impression is. You know, traditional news media has been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Um, you know, we thought we would see more out-and-out um, out misinformation in the traditional press. And uh, by and large, we're seeing the, the traditional press uh, be, um, you know, uh, pretty careful about how they represent stuff. It hasn't been ideal, as we've seen with the uh, malaria drug. But compared, you know, a have been following this for a long time. i have seen misinformation in a whole bunch of different contexts. And in general, the news media has been pretty good. And that tells us something. That tells us that a lot of this misinformation is coming from other sources. And of course, of course, we're talking social media.
0: If there was one myth you could beat to death with a stick at this point in time, which one would it be?
1: Um, Oh, there's so many. There's so many. many. But I'm going to pick the uh, immune-boosting one because it's just become so pervasive right now. And it may not seem like it's really harmful, uh, but it is, it is because it crowds out, you know, the idea, of, uh, you know, the things that we really, sh- the simple science-informed things that we should be doing, social distancing, washing our hands, you know, uh, acting responsibly when you have, have symptoms. Uh, but that immune-boosting idea is absolutely everywhere. And it's being used to, to exploit individuals, uh, exploit their fear, exploit their uncertainty to sell products and to sell um, pseudoscientific beliefs.
0: You know, it's ironic because the actual things that we're to do are really quite simple and not very complex at all. Just washing our hands on a continual basis after touching any kind of surfaces. Um, if we want, we can wear a protective covering on our face, but that would mostly it's for us. It's almost all, always for us to stop touching our face. Uh, so stop touching your face, wash your hands a lot, and stay away from uh, other other folks. And you're probably doing about as much as you need to do. And all the rest of it just seems to be our subconscious desire to defeat this thing and, and be immune to it in some way, to, to, to conquer it. Is there one demographic group that, when you're looking at these things, really stands out as the most vulnerable to this kind of misinformation?
1: Um. You know, not really, not really. I, I think that you know the different demographics use different social platforms, uh, our uh, social media platforms, um, but not really. I think all the demographics, to some degree, uh, seem seem to be vulnerable. You know, it's funny because millennials have blamed, made fun of boomers, and boomers have made fun of millenn- millennials. But I think all the demographics uh, can improve.
0: I really want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I'll be fascinated to see some of the results you get as you go further into this, because uh, I know this isn't a, a six-week thing. This is really having to to crunch through the entire thing. It's a, and it, it, it probably will inform a lot of other things that we think about. You know, when you mentioned the Kennedy assassination, I thought, yes, exactly. We need to have a better reason. It can't just be A virus that spread that we don't have a cure for yet and we have to wash our hands a lot. There must be something more magical and awful about all this. So I'll be very interested to see what it is. Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Well, that's it for Plan B. I'm Ralph Ben Benmerge. Plan B is brought to you by Upstream. If you want to find out more about what Upstream does, go to the website, www.thinkupstream.net. And you'll find out everything about Upstream and its work on the social determinants of health. This project has been made possible in part by the Government of Canada. Take care of each other. Bye bye.